Ready for some know-how, Jeff? Ready. Ready to be wild, Melina? Absolutely. From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to our first episode. <laughs> Welcome, indeed. My name is Melina. I'm with Bosch since six years now and currently working in digital communications. I'm a big gadget fan and I love to fiddle around with everything new and shiny. Yeah, like your fancy watch over there. Smartphone, smart mm -hmm. watch. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, smart home related. I also love that. Trying out new things, tech stuff mm -hmm. in my very own home. Mm -hmm. Love it. Spying on everyone else in the house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, make me look like a total creep here, right? Yeah, hey, you know, gotta start. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and apart from that, I'm also a big science fiction fan, especially when it comes to the company with the mouse. <laughs> uh, sorry. I, no, no, I no, saw you nice gearing up for it, and I had, I had to jump on that one. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, in the end, I think things like these, things that we are passionate about, that I'm passionate about, that they will come together and this is a very podcast and that it mm -hmm. will be a great starting point for what we'll be doing here. I think you know that I've, I've hosted a, a handful of live events for Bosch. And normally that's presenting on stage. Um, but doing that, you know, you get immediate feedback from, from the audience. So you, you can see if 20% of the people are looking at their phones. Um, we don't have that option right now. So we're going to have to be careful about that. Um, I mean, well, then try to be funny for a change and people won't stare at their smartphones the entire time. Hey, hey, I will have you know, I'm <laughs> quite him. funny. And you, you just got interrupted with Darth Vader. Ah, so, uh -huh. I mean, I come on, that. yeah, that's my humor. That was great. Hello, dear listeners. My name is Jeff Gostaitis. Uh, I've also been with Bosch for quite some time now. I am in the IT division of Bosch and we are responsible for providing IT solutions for all the Bosch businesses. So, Oh, you guys have a lot on your plate. Exactly. Yeah. I mean... So you kind of have the possibility to deal with the entire Bosch portfolio. Brings me to the questions, how did you end up here? <laughs> how did, how did that happen? Fair enough. Fair Already enough. having a lot uh, on your plate. Well, I mean, I um, came through the um, the hosting thing. I'm just gave me a call and said, hey, we're, we're doing this podcast, which yeah. is built to showcase the know-how that Bosch technicians have mm -hmm. and really talk about what are the technical challenges that they're dealing with in these deep research fields. So, so from my side, the opportunity to help kind of, you know, evangelize and show off all this stuff and really right. help everyone else know all the cool things we're doing and what we know how to do. And I'm definitely excited about uh, spreading the word a little bit. So it's going to be lovely. Gleichfass, <laughs> my favorite German word. Let's do this. Likewise. We start with a big portion of Bosch audio know-how. I would like to take you on an audio journey today. We're going to listen to the sounds that some Bosch machines make. We'll learn about solving crimes with audio. And we're going to space. Uh, I'm no astronaut, but I thought there wasn't any sound in space. Where we'll go, there is sound in space. Wait for it. But first, let me introduce you to Jim. My name is Jim Platzer. Um, born and raised in the Detroit area, and my father was an engineer for one of the car companies. So I'm sure Bosch was involved at some point. Jim is a pilot, and he loves being up in the air. Flying is, I think, one of those passions 
some people like it, some don't really care for it, but it did get in my blood. And it's just an enjoyable feeling to be able to go up and fly and see the world from a different perspective. Jim got his pilot license when he was 21, but then, skipping ahead five years, at the age of 26, he got a diagnosis for a retinal disease. It's called retinitis pigmentosa. So meaning that he gradually lost his eyesight. So he's really blind now. Well, in fact, it is a slow, gradual process. Um, today, he has only about 5% of his field of vision left. It's like looking down a small tube. As we're talking about sound today, I wanted to talk to someone who deals with sound on a different level than we do, for example. So I wanted to know from Jim how important sound is for him and how much he relies on it. So I understand that as you're losing your eyesight, the brain is basically, um, basically switching over to focusing on processing more audio. So my assumption is that his hearing is sharpened. It certainly has. Um, my wife is a little bit upset because she thought that uh, my senses would pick up and she makes the claim that it hasn't uh, really done anything for my common sense, but uh, that's just my wife. <laughs> but uh, yes, lis listening is the main sense that offsets some of that visual loss. Paying attention to instructions, paying attention to noises. And I, I would ask anybody that listens to the podcast, maybe to, for a deeper understanding of that, maybe walk through your grocery store and have somebody guide you, hang on to them. But listen for all the sounds that there are, all those ambient sounds that, that surround us. Mm -hmm. So that you hear the sound of the the air conditioners that are keeping the meat counter cool. Those are cues that you pick up when you listen so that you, you know where you're at. I listen for that and I keep track of it. It's one of those listening, audible cues that, that help me coordinate my, my movement. God, that, that's fascinating, isn't it? I, I mean, it, it absolutely is, but... Is it enough to effectively replace replace vision? I mean, uh, go back go back to uh, when we started talking to Jim. He he mentioned that his, his dream is about flying planes. Yeah, yeah. And how does one really go about flying a plane without vision? Well, when talking to him, I, I had the feeling that at some point he he really learned to accept it and not give up on his dreams. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. When you say not give up on his dreams, are, are you telling me he's still flying? His co-pilot, Joel, tells him what's going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. He's saying 50 knots, 55 knots, 60 knots, 65 knots, rotate, which means, you know, pull off the runway. It's almost like instrument flying. And my, my instrument uh, cluster is actually Joel giving me all the feedback from the instrumentation, <laughs> you know, Altitude and attitude, uh, all of those things that I need to be able to fly the airplane safely. That I mean, uh, that that very much fits fits <laughs> the name of the podcast. That that is wow. Right? Wow. So yeah, he can still follow his passion and be a pilot I, just I by love listening. That. That's incredible. So you know, um, I think we don't always appreciate hearing as much as we we should. I mean, that that's one of the learnings that I had when talking to Jim. I think. Sometimes it will probably be beneficial if we would pay more attention to 
to the things that might be hidden in sound. Well, I mean, generally speaking, we're dismissing background noise. Right. Yeah.、Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's something even even in the technical language,、um, you, you know, the term signal to noise ratio. No.、Nope. Um, oh well. <laughs> Okay.、Um, in principle, you you want it to be high. You you want the signal to be high, so that you have a distinct focus on what you want to be hearing,、mm-hmm. and the noise that is the other sounds in the environment to be rather low, so you can basically focus.、Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're paying attention to background noise as Jim is doing, then noise almost has well a negative connotation, kind of. Don't you think? Background noise, or I don't want to call it noise. Background sound signals can reveal information about the state of things. Background sound signals. All right, so that's the term. I got that.、Um, Melina, can you tell me who that just was? That Sam、um, does. One of our colleagues. He works at Bosch in、uh, the United States in Pittsburgh.、Um, and I'm, I'm meeting Sam for the second time now. First time we did an interview for the Bosch Global Sofa Sessions. And Saw that. You did, yeah. I remember that from that、uh, sofa session.、Um, you did a really, really,、mm-hmm. really good job, by the way.、Um, getting Sam to to really be clear about his explanations. By the way, as a note to the listeners,、uh, we'll be putting a link to that sofa session to the video in the show notes. Thank you very much. Couldn't have said it any better.、Um, but yeah, that that's why I wanted Sam to take part in this podcast episode too, because <laughs> obviously his topic of research is sound. Depending on what you are interested in, your definition of signal and noise could really change. So we value all kinds of sound equally, right? So, like we were just talking about signal noise ratio, are you then not distinguishing between the two? Oh, I'd say that all sounds have value. Sound has been the de facto. Uh, sensing capability for us human to sense danger, right? Be it, be it in the jungle or you're upstairs trying to monitor what's happening downstairs at night. It's always something that you cannot see, you cannot hear, and that has been something that we have evolved to really,、uh, you know, decode in our brain and make sense of it. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense.、Um, Melina, what about if we take a moment and just just kind of pause、um, mm-hmm. and just take a second to appreciate the sound around us?、Um, just okay, a little thought、yeah. experiment. Just, okay, whatever. Yeah. Let, yeah. So let, just just pause.、Yeah. <laughs> just pause. Yeah, let's do that. So I mean, we we have all these sounds around us all the time,、um, but but like what we were talking about with Jim, most of us are are dismissing them. Yeah.、Um, But if we just take off our our headphones for a second, you know what what are we really going to hear? And then for the listeners, I would also in, invite our listeners to themselves press the pause button and just kind of take a second to take in those additional sounds and、uh, get away from the signal versus noise concept and just take it all in. Okay, so pause. Okay, so now that we're back. Melina, tell me what you heard, and thank you for coming back to our dear listeners. <laughs> so, so、uh, yeah, Melina, what did what did、uh, what'd you get out of that? What did I hear?、Um, well, considering that we we're in a studio, not that much.、Um, well, there is some very quiet humming. I mean, so it's, it's kind of interesting to 
hear that also this studio is not absolutely quiet. So where does that come from? Yeah, I, I noticed that also. I Honestly, I don't know. I, I kind of thought it would be almost perfectly quiet in here. Uh, but, but, you know, it's interesting, um, even, even with that, um, with all the, all the tech we have around us and all the investment to really have excellent sound quality. Mm-hmm. Um, people know, just listening to us in their headphones, uh, that we're in a studio. You know, if, if we were in a church, um, you, would, you would absolutely hear that. Um, okay, yeah. And, and so course, that... Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about with, with context and where there's noise outside of the signal of our speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can follow. Yeah. And so where do you think I am now? <laughs> Bathroom? <laughs> it's, a, it's a different kind of echo. Wait, wait, let me try. What does this sound like? Uh, something small. Like, uh, I don't know, the... Uh, a crawl space or a closet? <laughs> yeah, get closer. Okay, all right. Well, uh, one more. Oh, you're underwater. Cool. Oh, God, that's cool. I could do that. <laughs> I could do that all day long. <laughs> I like that you're starting to appreciate sound. Today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? Back to Sam, though. Okay? Let's get back to Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, focus. <laughs> um, of course, he's, he's not an anthropologist or a philosopher, He's a Bosch engineer, so what he's working on is creating technology that can make sense of various sounds. So yeah, our perspective is that we, we can also analyze those other types of sound that are there beyond speech and make you know sense of them to do interesting things. I mean, I mean really, what are, what are some sounds uh, that would be useful for a piece of uh, technology to understand? Mm, imagine you're in a factory for a second. And around us, there are all these machines making sound. Um, I mean, I guess for you and me, there would just be like a cacophony of machine sounds. So that's noise. Yeah, but Sam, he listens differently. The moment you would like to pay quote-unquote attention, right, of specific machines, how it's operating... And you have some domain knowledge about what is inside that machine when you go close to it. Maybe you know that there are some rotating wheels and there's some gears and there's something moving left to right. Suddenly, in your head, you like to get a picture how this sound that you're hearing, which is seemingly noisy, somehow correlate with all these different parts that you are imagining in your head. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I see that. Or I hear that. Um like when when most people know a little bit about cars, and so you know if I'm I'm driving in a car, you can uh, understand what noises are basically coming from where, at least at at something like an intuitive level, um, and so you can understand what's happening with the different components, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like motor, doors, blinker, etc. But with our human brain and how we have evolved to decode sound, there's, of course, limitations to how much you can, quote unquote, picture in your brain what this seemingly noisy thing mean in your head. But if you could feed your machines or artificial agents with such background information about this phenomenon that is generating the sound, it will be able to, quote unquote, see much more than just interpreting it as noise. So... One of these artificial agents could actually figure out what is specifically creating a specific sound and separate that 
from the rest of the jumbled noise around it. Mm-hmm, right. That's one part of Samda's project, which is called Sound C. Sam, as the Bosch technician and, and again, deep technical expert, uh, is using this know-how to create pictures from sound. Where did the use case even come from and how long did it take you to develop Sound C and the technology? We started, I would say, five years ago when we started uh, researching on, you know, uh, how could you use state-of-the-art AI to get more information out of sounds. Um, I think you can, well, you can compare it to something like street view for sound, I'd say. Just not for your city, but for a factory, for example. A 3D sound map, which is just great. So fundamentally, I could use this to look around and see where the sound is coming from, which which source it is, at least, in an otherwise quite chaotic environment where I might not otherwise be able to isolate. And that's very unique. Um, and you know, like I said, something of a, a tech fan myself mm. and certainly a Bosch fanboy. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm super excited uh, that we have this as, as a uh, premier example of Bosch know-how. Seeing with sound. Let's think about it. Um, how we see and how we hear both works in very different ways. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it, in principle, you're still just dealing with waves. You're, you're, you're sensing them with, with uh, one, one organ or another, eyes or ears, um, and then you're processing it, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <I> mean, <laughs> good, all right. Well, then, that's why I'm not in med school, thanks. <laughs> um, you have only two eardrums, one left, one right, whereas in your eyes, you have millions of light receptors on your retina. So you can distinguish where light waves come from. Plus, you have a lens in front of the retina. So you can focus on specific things that emit light waves. You cannot do that with your ears. I mean, yeah, okay. So obviously I can't. Yeah, right. (laughs) Again, once again, I'm not in med school, but thank you very much. You're welcome. So yes, I'm aware I can't focus my ears even because there's not really a physical mechanism to do that. Um, but can't the brain do something like that? I mean, it it is constantly processing these signals. Can't we get good at that and kind of figure it out? Wouldn't it be nice if you could really spatially or in space map the sound? Suddenly you, you have a better understanding of the distribution of this physical phenomenon that is producing such sound signatures or vibration signatures, right? Suddenly you add a more dimension to it and you can make more sense out of it. That's what the name sounds comes from. Like, how could you really then map this, uh, you know, waves? Okay, so how, how are they doing the mapping exactly? Well, I mean, for starters, um, the number of receptors is easy to solve, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, adding more microphones, sure. Yes, use 10 or 20 or 30 of them. Tiny ones, like you have in your smartphone, for example. And they call those coupled microphones a microphone array. That's what I learned from Sam. Um, And the second trick is to move this array around. Like, literally, they put it on a robot. Like, on a robot, and it drives around in a certain space. So that's effectively then serving as the lens for audio. Mm Mm-hmm. That's something they've they've copied from satellites, which which do the same thing, just with radio waves instead of sound. Okay, got it. What satellites do is that they use an antenna to capture, you know, radio waves, and then as they move along in the orbit, this aggregate signal collected from different points in the orbit. 
to create a virtually big antenna. That's called an aperture synthesis. Although your physical antenna size is limited because of the motion, you could create a synthesizer virtual antenna on an array to gather much more information. In this case, more signals, right? Okay, so that's kind of analogous to making a panoramic shot with your camera. Mm. You're moving it around, um, and that's allowing it to collect much more information than it would otherwise if it was remaining still. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. A little bit like like that. Yes. Um, only that the sound image also becomes more defined. The resolution gets better as the microphone array moves through the space. Got it. Okay, so with that, then Sam and his team can record the sound, and then say this sound is coming from over there, um, and then that gets created by this machine, and so on. And then this is the know-how-to-wow moment. Wow. And then Soundsy could also recognize unusual sounds. And, well, again, now it's getting interesting. And pinpoint what might cause them. Suddenly, if you see that there is a certain new sound source just popped up, which was not there in the machine for last one month, suddenly it could be something that you want to look at because it's not something maybe expected. If it is coming from, let's say, the fuel pump, for example, the corner of the fuel pump, let's say you can map it to that fidelity, right? Then you know that, hey, maybe there's something issues there. Can I just get super nerdy for a minute and ask? Oh, please do. What... <laughs> <laughs> What kind of uh, artificial intelligence is exactly behind all this? Well, um, shouldn't you know that? Um, because you've watched the sofa session? Um, we got a very similar question. Okay, got me from there. Our got me there. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch it. I just can't remember. Gotcha. There's uh-huh. so much good stuff in there. I can't remember it all. <laughs> Will you use a supervised learning approach or are you going to use an unsupervised learning neural network? Very good question. It depends on what aspect of the problem you're looking at. So if you're just looking at anomaly detection, suddenly you hear something suspicious, which is off-nominal. This is where we're using unsupervised neural networks. So the way it works, a little bit technical detail, is that in signal processing also, again, like I said, all of our work is inspired by signal processing, then applied to AI. So in classical signal processing, sudden model change or gradual model change, what I mean by model change is that Anything that you're monitoring is a, uh, an event or a physical process or a machine is a dynamical system, right? It has its own rhythm, if you will. It operates, and suddenly the rhythm is bo- broken, right, because of some anomaly. And there has been work where there has been, you know, from control theory, uh, you can identify a sudden change in model. That is actually the anomaly, right? Suddenly your dynamics, underlying system dynamics changes. So what we have done in this case is inspired by that work, or those array of work, we are using neural network to model the system dynamics and try and see if we could predict the future behavior, the immediate future behavior of the dynamics using neural network. If you can't do it so well, that means the underlying dynamics has changed. The machine is going through an off-nominal state. And then without going too much detail, neural network has I would say really incredible modeling capacity if you train it properly to model such complex dynamics. So long story short, yes, unsupervised neural networks for anomaly detection is a really promising direction as many people are exploring. We're looking at it from a little bit different perspective inspired by the system identification and dynamical model change work that has uh, single processing work community has done. And we are, you know, con- like I said, continue to really 
test the system and see how robust they would be. So, but that is definitely part of SoundSys exploration and uh, research. Cool. So let me try to tie all of this together. Please, yeah. Please do. The artificial intelligence inside SoundSea can, can first collect all this information. It can put it into a context that is then usable inside of a model which can then attempt to predict the future state of these machines. Because it, with, with these machines, it understands the, the fundamental constructs inside how, how that is working. So basically, SoundSea can read its own map. Right? I think you're onto something here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A fuel pump is not an arbitrary device or machine. It has a certain physics of how it works. Maybe you tap it inside and then fluid comes through, this, that. How could you leverage this domain knowledge about how it operates and what is the mechanism of sound generation? How could you integrate such domain knowledge or physics-based knowledge into your analysis? Just like also you ask the question, when I hear the sound in the factory flow, what I see or hear? The right context and background and also the background knowledge about the physics of the origination of the sound, if you inject that knowledge, you could really then monitor at a much more deeper level. Suddenly the sound is telling you more stories about what is happening inside. So I think you can say that it's a little bit like Soundsea understands the language that machines speak. Like we can make sense of the sounds that our vocal track people Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. The, these uh, Finding these nuances and trying to put them into context, understand what's going on. It's, it's a little bit like a, like a puzzle, maybe mm-hmm. a mystery. Kind of like, you know, in, I don't know, a TV show or a movie or something. Hello, this is Rob. Rob Maher. Uh, I pronounce it Maher. Maher. Got it. Okay. Yes, that's correct. So I understand you're kind of the guy that we often see on TV, right? Those, the, the crime shows where, you know, the technician is uh, given some piece of evidence in the back to screw around with. Yeah, there are many of these shows that deal with kind of true crime reports that often have some forensic aspect to them that uh, the, the investigator will use some trace evidence to uh, to come to a conclusion. Ooh, you're in audio forensics. That is so cool. We should also uh, let, let our listeners know, um, you're also a professor at Montana State University. So um, tell us, what's the most unusual thing you've discovered in a recording so far that told you more about what was going on? Yeah, so as an example, I worked on a case several years ago in which two individuals shot at each other with handguns, and they were out in the street, and there were witnesses nearby. So when the the police asked the witnesses who shot first, they had conflicting reports on which individual uh, fired first. And it turned out that was an important part of the the, the court case. Course. Sure, yeah. Well, down the, the, the block, maybe 100 meters from where the, the, the gunshot exchange happened, there happened to be a home that had a surveillance system with uh, audio capability. Mm-hmm. And ah. although the <laughs> cameras on the system are not pointed in a direction to show any of this, they picked up the sound. And so these two shots are present. Uh, the first shot, it turns out, had a very distinct echo afterwards, and the second shot didn't. Mm-hmm. And so by looking at the scene where this happened, um, there was a, a building up at the end of the block that provided this strong echo from one of the, the shots. And the gun pointing toward that big building had a strong echo, and the other shooter was pointing the other direction. 
and so the echo is much less because the, the gun's sound is quieter behind the shooter. And so from that, I was able to, to suggest that the individual pointing in the direction of this reflecting surface was likely the first shooter. Pretty cool. Wow, that's, uh, that's really fascinating. So when, when you make that description, it, it seems to make a certain amount of logical sense. It's straightforward. But in order to actually make that determination, are you doing that yourself or do you have specialized tools? The procedure that we would use is to make sure we are getting the best available copy of that audio so that uh, we get the digital bits directly from whatever the recording device was so that we're, we're starting from the essentially the raw data. And uh, there are a variety of commercial software that can be used to look at waveforms, to do uh, examination, to look at uh, spectrograms, which are a special graph that's showing the frequency content uh, of the audio versus time. And so uh, for the layperson, would you, could you call that something like a heat map? Yes. They're often colorful. And uh, when you're trained to look at them, you can understand visually what you're hearing. And uh, there are also custom software. So some of the techniques that I use, I actually write my own computer code that does some analysis of the signals. And then, uh, as I said, there are commercial companies that produce software to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. um, so for my understanding to get back again to that point where you mentioned that even if security cameras don't record video of an incident, you can still get a lot of information from the audio set. So that's what I understood. Um, and I think I, I hadn't realized that before, but yeah, it's true. Sound travels in all directions. You don't need a clear line of sight. So you don't even need a recording immediately at the scene, right? Unfortunately, many times if the microphone is close to where the gun went off, the gun is so loud that the microphone in the recording clips. You know, it, it just exceeds the ability of the recording device to, uh, to capture it accurately. But uh, the likelihood of having recording devices at a uh, crime scene or at a civil incident is much higher now than it was just a few mm -hmm. years ago. You know, people have they're carrying around these recording devices with them, their their mobile phones, and and so people will pull out the phone and and make a video or uh, audio yeah. recording. And along with that, the law enforcement officers, at least in the U.S., are increasingly wearing body cameras and recording devices that are uh, part of their routine. So in any given case, it's it's increasingly likely that there will be audio and, and video evidence available, uh, maybe more than there used to be. Which, which also means more work for you then. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Rob, thank you uh, very much for calling in with us. And thank you very much for the insights which you're, you've now shared with our listeners. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, I appreciate your interest in this topic. It's a real special niche. Our pleasure. Bye, Rob. Bye. Bye. Uh, so I've come to think... I mean, what we just heard from Rob, I think Soundsea, when bringing it also back to, to Sam and in his Soundsea technology, I think Soundsea in a way takes it to a different level or to different heights. If you say it like that, if you will. Uh, I, think, I think I can analyze that sound. Um, that's a rocket launch. Correct. <laughs> oh, I was nervous. <laughs> Next one. What's on board this rocket? Uh, no. 
Sam? Yeah, our science mission to the International Space Station, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, so the, the Bosch project... Say it. ...Soundsea is on ISS <laughs> right now. Yeah, it is. But that's not all. It it even it gets better. Even better. But I'll let Sam explain it. Um, you can do that way better. Our colleague from Bosch in Pittsburgh. It writes on a robot that NASA built. It's called Astrobee. And it moves or floats around because of zero-G in the space station to map these different acoustic sources in the ISS. Um, let me show you how, how it actually sounds like inside the ISS. What do you think of that? I'm, I'm not sure what I think about it. It, it kind of sounds like a production environment. You like it? I guess, I, I guess it makes sense that it would be rather I mean, loud. There's yeah. uh, how many machines do they have up there running experiments? Right. It's, it's, so I don't know. But I don't yeah. know what I expected, but that that's what it is. Uh, but that's still fascinating because if if we're thinking about what what the use case was about signaling out or uh, isolating signal mm-hmm. versus noise, or how to make sense of that, which obviously what we just heard, I can't do that. Um, so anyway, is, let's get back to the the, the point. Um, so it's it's floating around on yes. a robot, um, and Astro B. And what is it actually doing? Um, so for now, while floating around on Astro B, um, Soundsea creates an acoustic map of the ISS and see how well everything works. So remember, there is no ceiling or floor on the ISS. You have instruments and devices all around, and the astronauts have a map to keep track of what is where. Especially, ISS has been mapped, one of the most mapped space, not in acoustic domain with sound, but like physically, they update the map of the ISS almost regularly because they, they have to refer to where every item is kept. So NASA is always updating this map. So with this 3D map that is already there, like where things are, we could already get a very good sense of where the acoustic source might be. Combining them with this acoustic monitoring that we are doing with Soundsea on the ISS, that's what you're experimenting on. That's kind of a brief summary of what you're trying to do there. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. So then I suppose, at least uh, uh, ideally, um, at some point, Soundsea would be able to use all the data that's collected in the machine learning a technology that you've trained, and it could effectively predict the breakdown of of whatever machines are running on the ISS. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean that's what Sam and of course the astronauts on board the ISS um, are hoping for. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So obviously these machines uh, have a lot of sensors built in um, that are monitoring the systems themselves. So obviously trying to prevent breakdowns is already a priority so probably there's a lot of um a lot of steps already taken for that so that they could is do something like send out an alert when mm-hmm. something breaks um mm-hmm. and I, I i can only assume that they're doing this up there on the ISS as well yeah i mean in a factory or in a car you also have trade-offs right um so you have to ask yourself is it worth it to put a ton of sensors into each component or can you use something like Soundsea and the Soundsea technology? So one centralized monitoring system, would that be good enough maybe as well? It could save money to use fewer sensors, plus you could use it in places where it's just not possible to monitor each component closely and separately. And on the ISS, 
Sounds you could also do something that astronauts have to do manually right now. I mean, basically measure the sound levels to ensure workplace safety. The way it is done now is that astronauts will have to do an acoustic survey of the ISS regularly. A very tedious and manual process. They will literally use a sound meter or dB meter, go to calibrated points in space in the space station and literally record the intensity level. Oh my god, I mean, imagine how much work that is. And when you know that one work hour of an astronaut costs $55,000, Sonsi could save a ton of money. Wow. So, um, bottom line, I'm pretty confident to say I think we went from know-how to wow, right? Oh, you can you can say that term literally, absolutely. You know, when I produce media, I'm always trying to get good sound. That's my job. That's what I'm there for, basically. And often that means clean sound, though, which is why we are in the studio. But now I think that sometimes we're we're missing out on something, right? If something is happening in the background or the sound of the recording has a certain texture, it can provide some context, some extra bits of information. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I mean, I personally, I'm very excited to see what the future of SoundSea holds uh, as we bring it from the kind of research phase at the ISS to actual practical applications. Yeah. So, you know, for sure, the, the, the factory analogy had already been made. Uh, but also, perhaps there's more, you know, private, of daily use examples for end users. This is certainly something our engineers and researchers at Bosch are looking into. For instance, the Soundsea developers teamed up with engineers from Bosch Powertrain Solutions to evaluate how the technology could monitor fuel pump, for example. So that would also be pretty cool, but they have even more ideas. Like in healthcare, for example, the artificial intelligence could monitor the sounds our bodies make. Imagine that, like our heartbeat or breathing. Yeah, uh, which are obviously sounds which generally would fall into the noise category rather than the signal category. So, <laughs> yeah, that would be obviously very helpful for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. For sure. One last thing. We've talked a lot today and very analytically about sound. But, Sam, is there any sound that gets you emotional? Sound of Saturn V rocket launch. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> And I, I outplayed really loud in my basement. And yeah, it, it, when I'm down, <laughs> when that thing roars with cut of zero, yeah, that, that makes me emotional. <laughs> yeah, That's great. From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Next time we'll have some wows and some know-how about something much more visual, a small detail that can make driving a lot safer. By the way, you can read the show notes to this episode and get further information to SoundSea and our podcast as well. My name is Jeff. Thank you very much for the privilege of your time. Thank you very much indeed. My name is Melina. We are very happy if you could join us again in the next episode. Please don't hesitate to comment or like our podcast. Also, you can ask questions if you want. We would very much appreciate your interest in our work. Until next time, then. Bye.